0: This is the Innovation Engine Podcast. Every Monday, we bring you interviews with some of the world's leading authorities
1: on innovation. We talk about company culture, corporate leadership, emerging trends in technologies, and more.
0: Coming to you from Three Pillar Global's headquarters in Fairfax, Virginia, here's your host, Will Sherlin. Welcome back to the Innovation Engine Podcast. On this week's episode, our 75th, we're pleased to welcome Three Pillar CEO David DeWolf back to the studio to talk about Fortune's 2015 Brainstorm Tech Conference. We'll talk about some of the topics that were on everyone's minds at this year's conference, why software will continue to play an important role for companies of all shapes and sizes, and the importance creating a great culture has in creating great companies. David DeWolf is the founder and CEO of 3Pillar Global, one of the Mid-Atlantic's fastest growing technology companies, and my employer. Since founding 3Pillar in 2006, David has guided the company to a leadership position in the product development services sector. Establishing 3Pillar as the go-to innovator for content, information, and data-rich companies looking to grow revenue through software. David is passionate about software product innovation, entrepreneurship, and principled leadership. In 2012, he was named one of Smart CEO Magazine's Future 50. In 2011, he was recognized by the Washington Business Journal as one of 40 under 40, who are Washington DC's brightest young business leaders. David writes often about leadership, business, Life, and Technology at DavidDeWolf.com, and he or his writing has appeared in publications like Fortune, Fast Company, Investor's Business Daily, Pando Daily, ZDNet, and many more. Welcome back to the podcast, David.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Will. It's great to be here.
0: Absolutely great to have you back. So I want to start off today's episode with a little bit of housekeeping. Okay. Something has been weighing heavily on me for a while and I feel like I need to get it off my chest.
1: Oh, I'm scared.
0: (laughs) Well, it's nothing too bad, but the last time you were on the podcast, we played a game of one word story. Right. You challenged me to find a way to use it
1: in my everyday work life. Yep. Yep. And it's something that I haven't done oh, yet. Whew. I'm relieved because I was afraid that I did something to offend you or something, <laughs> and you had to confront me or something. Yeah. No,
0: no, no. But so I, I wanted to see if we could start off this episode with another game of one-word story to get on the same way. Gotcha.
1: There we go. Let's do it. Let's- All right.
0: So so let's do. The word is going to be brainstorm. Okay. You say that like you've been thinking about it and you're prepared. Okay. I am. I am
1: ready. <laughs> so so I'll start it off. Okay. okay. Gotcha. Once upon a moonshine. There was a brainstorm that went way over the moon. (laughs) I think that you could really enjoy something that maybe came from the moon. That's a long pause, Will. That is a
0: long pause. Man, I'm I'm stumped. Okay. Um, NASA
1: thinks that brainstorming is something that is likely to bring
0: innovation. All right. I like that. Let's end it there. (laughs)
1: Okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But... But, you know, funnily enough, and this has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about, but I did see an article recently. I had the Sapienza guys on the podcast. We talked about, you know, innovation in the space space. Right. And I saw an article that was super fascinating um, that somebody 15 years ago had come up with a theory about how we could travel through space faster and was basically laughed off the planet by, you know, all of his peers, right? Okay. Um, But now they're thinking that his theory might actually be proven true and that we will be able to travel to space. To the moon in a matter of hours
1: and to Mars in a hundred years. Really? Yeah. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. That's innovative thinking right there. I mean, that's, I don't know if you remember when we started this thing, but uh, episode one, the Pop-Tart test. Yes. The innovation in Pop-Tarts versus the innovation to get to the moon. I think that's a different level (laughs) of innovation. (laughs) You know, you talk about an innovation engine. There you go. That's the moon. No, no, (laughs) no, no. no. So Um, we started small episode 75. We we finally get to the coup d'etat here. Yeah. <laughs> yes, without a doubt. Uh,
0: so, but so so let's take it back to uh, to, to previous visits to the podcast. Uh, the second to last time you came on, we talked about the 2014 Brainstorm Tech Conference. Yeah, right. It's put on by Fortune every year, and you recently attended this year's Brainstorm Tech Conference. It's an mm. invite only event for corporate leaders in the tech space. What were some of the themes or topics that were on the tip of everyone's tongue at this year's conference?
1: Yeah, it, it's interesting. Um, A lot of times I go to this conference and you get takeaways that really do carry through through the the following year. Like, wow. That, that trend really did play out and it, it's a fascinating event because everybody's there you know a lot of these conferences you go to just for the networking and, and mm-hmm. the people there are great this one is really all about the content and there's some unbelievable thought going on and conversations happening and you know one of the big takeaways I I really noticed was everybody's been talking about user experience and how important it is in building products and in innovating uh, and a lot of the innovation that's happening in user experience but customer experience came up taking that user experience to the next level and really understanding how you engage with the customer throughout their entire life cycle. Whereas user experience takes the the interaction they have with a specific product to the next level, the customer experience spans the entire life cycle of that customer and every single touch point you have. And the innovation aspect is thinking through those touch points and figuring out how can you delight the customer even more in all of those aspects, whether it's physical, whether it's digital, You know, no matter where you are, how can you provide a different and unique experience? Mm-hmm. And um, that was definitely a, a big theme, and the importance of that in products today. Um, I think especially as technology has gotten more and more complex and doing more is doing more and more, simplifying things around and, and spurring adoption through the simplicity of how things integrate into our everyday lives as opposed to require something new for us to interact with right. uh, is really, really important. So that that was a theme. And, and I think closely tied to that was also recruiting talent, right? Uh, how do you find those innovative thinkers? How do you find those folks that are exceptional at understanding a customer's lifecycle and, and looking at that ecosystem? And um, this, this notion that we have to find talent in different places than we've we've been able to before because everybody is going through this digital transformation and, and requiring innovation um and looking in in the areas that you know for example uh, you know we all talk about diversification once folks are in our company but do we actually go out and hunt uh for individuals in diverse locations to find that diverse talent um or taking the the notion of some great high talent coming out of the the schools and we all know that they're not ready for the workforce but how do you train and develop them and give them uh, the skill sets and and cover for some of the deficiencies in the education system Um, so a lot of those types of things were were part of the conversation as well and then the other thing I'd be remiss not to mention is the the shared economy there's a lot of conversation about the shared economy and how you know everything these days is going that way you know it's not a silver bullet, but it feels like we're at that silver bullet phase. Um, and so there was a lot of conversation about that and grappling with the reality of the shared economy and where it will be impactful and effective and where it won't be.
0: Yeah. And going back to the, to the first thing you mentioned, was there anybody on the customer experience side of things that, that folks cited that, that do that very well? Or was there somebody who spoke on that topic that kind of resonated with
1: you? Yeah. You know, the, I think the best was actually a, um, panel discussion that I saw. There was uh, one of the directors of user experience from Facebook was there. Um, there was uh, the the customer experience lead from Frog Design mm-hmm. um, talking about um, these things. And, and it was, you know, a group of five individuals participating in this panel. And what's great about this conference is they actually make it interactive. So the panel discussion is actually a round room of a bunch of us sitting together. And there are these five folks on the panel, but we're really all on the panel and participating. They're just kind of leading the discussion and and inserting things, and so it was really everybody, and, yeah. and it was fascinating to me to see how many traditional industries um, were were wrestling with these things. Not just tech companies that have products, or media companies have been on the leading edge, but really whether you're talking about customer experience for cars uh, in, in the auto space, or um, you know retail, or you name it, right. uh, all industries are dealing with this right now. Um, so it was fascinating. Okay, nice. So.
0: Let me ask you about another topic we've talked about in the past, wearables. Yeah, On Fortune's website, they have an interview with Fitbit co-founder and CEO James Park, yep. who said something that caught my attention. He said, this year, they're tripling R&D spend, and over two-thirds of that is going into the software experience. Absolutely. So what does it say to you that a company that had a $6 billion IPO this year, one of the most successful IPOs this year, is pouring money into R&D in the software space?
1: Well, I I think it says something that I fundamentally believe, which is hardware over time is always commoditized. Software is where the value comes from, and it's the data that really comes to life through the software and provides insights. But but more than insights, it's the action. What can I do with this data? And and I think if you look at this wearable space, um, I I think James is on to something because I think the entire problem right now with wearables and what's slowing the market down is that there's no ecosystem leveraging all the data we're collecting. These devices are phenomenal at consuming Information consuming data, Mm -hmm. Um, but we're not turning it into action that people can use, right? What I want to know is in real time. No, don't eat that. Or in real time, hey, take the stairs. Um, You know, or you know, you name it. I, I want to know what I can do when I'm exercising. You know, I don't really care what my VO2 max is. What I want is hey, you need to up your pace because you've plateaued, right? Those are the type of useful insights that I need, things that lead to action, that give me something to do right now. Software will provide that, right? I I was talking to another uh, firm that's in the wearable space, and they are using the same data that they've been collecting from the sensors. for years now, and they're using the data to come up with brand new algorithms that tell us different things, right? So biometrics based on, you know, whether it's your heart rate or your blood pressure or whatever, they can use the exact same data we've been collecting for years to tell us steps and, you know, things that we're not too interesting. Mm -hmm. They're starting to figure out how to turn it into useful information. And I think that's the future uh, is those algorithms and then the software that provides it as a user experience to somebody so they can actually use it in real time.
0: Yeah, and and speaking of user experience and not that we're here to play favorites, but I mentioned in a previous podcast that we recorded that I was waiting for a Jawbone 3 that was on back order. Took four or five months to get to me and then I got it and two nights in a row didn't register. It it basically cut off in sleep mode. So it said that it hadn't recorded the sleep patterns that it was supposed to be recording. And I returned it. There you go. Because it's like, you know, I'm not going to wait five months for something that then comes to
1: me and doesn't work. Right. Well, and that that goes back to customer experience, right? They can have the best user experience when you go in to look at your data and see the analytics. and, And it can be optimized to the nth degree from a software perspective. But not good enough, right? The customer is so much more than that. And so how do we optimize all aspects of that life cycle? You just hit the nail on the head. That's a perfect example where companies have to do better. Yeah, definitely. So one of the more interesting things to
0: me in reading about the conference online was what CVS Health EVP Helena Fulkes had to say about CVS decision to stop selling cigarettes, hmm. serving as a catalyst for the company. In an interview, she said that she thought classes in business school that focused on culture were, quote, soft and unimportant. But she now realizes that the most important thing she does every day is set the culture of the company. Hmm. Did you happen to catch that interview? And whether you did or not, what's your reaction to it as someone who leads a company of 600 plus individuals?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I didn't. Um, and I'd have to go back and see why. I was either talking to somebody or in a different session. But right? um It strikes me, as you say that, um, how true it is. Um, One of the things we've done here at 3Pillar is just recently... we've always believed that culture is one of the primary success factors when it comes to innovation. Mm-hmm. And that the way you create that culture and allow for appropriate risk-taking, the way you embrace feedback, um, the way the, the, the company and the culture collaborates together, those types of things are so important um, and really spur innovation. And, and so we actually took this hypothesis and did a research study. Uh, several months ago and um, hired somebody to go and, and, and see if that was a legit hypothesis or not. And the research study came back and said, absolutely. In fact, it's the number one factor. And and I think that's what she's getting to here is that it's absolutely essential. Uh, if we want to be innovative, if we want to move things forward, it's not about the technology. It's really not. It's about finding ways to collaborate and find better ideas. It's, fu- it's about having the capacity to take risk and the permission to take risk it's about um, moving things forward and taking a quantum leap forward hmm uh, versus taking one little baby step at a time and managing against risk. Those types of things I think are essential. And you get a lot of that when you focus on the culture, when you build it, right? I, I believe personally that you build a culture from, from the bottom up, starting with trust, right? You have to build a culture of trust. How do people know that they can share their ideas and their opinions and their findings? in a safe environment and be able to hash them out and have um, good, strong, deliberate conversations, have healthy debates, right? To me, that's the basis of a good, healthy culture that leads to innovation. And um, you get that through, you know, some of these, quote, culture things, right? Um, You know, diversity, we brought up before, right? A diverse body of people in a healthy culture are gonna lead to more innovative products. Um, So, yeah, it's an interesting concept, um, you know, and, and unfortunately, I think, the sentiment about business school goes for a lot of what people feel about education as a whole today is that it's soft and unimportant and you know the things that are being taught are out of a book but not pragmatic. We've got to, in our education system, bring things back to what's driving results and that is giving people experiences to work together in a team and to actually collaborate, teaching them how to build that culture, not just the importance of culture, right? Mm -hmm. That's what I want in, in folks coming out of school is know how to work in a team and build that tr- that trust in that culture um as opposed to just reading case studies about where it's gone well or, or good or bad um you know teach them the pragmatic skills to actually do it
0: yeah definitely and uh, getting naked is a book that made the rounds uh, yeah. here about 6 months ago and is is kind of a great and it's it's basically a business fable type book but it's a, it's a great story about you know learning to be vulnerable in front of clients and with teams and maybe ask questions that, um, might sound stupid, but you know, it's, it's sometimes the only way that you're going to, to learn and and learn to work together as a
1: team. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's a great book. And in fact, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Patrick Lencioni, the author of that book and um, all of his books. I think tap dance around this exact subject, and, and the one that's right at the heart of it, in the middle of it, is the five dysfunctions of a team, uh, where he goes into um, you know the, the concept of trust and how everything starts with trust, and you build up from there when it comes to trust, vulnerability, um, deliberate debates, and and then accountability ultimately in an organization. So um, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of good good information out there. So let's let's stick
0: with culture for a second. You mentioned the research study on the factors that influence software development success and product innovation. Uh, and we've talked a little bit about this on the podcast previously, but not a ton. We had Dr. Sunil Mitas on from the University of Maryland before the report came out. So if anyone is interested in hearing what he has to say about uh, about culture and instituting change, that's definitely a good episode to listen to. But what did the study find was the most important factor? And can you talk a little bit about some of the other factors that the study found?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, culture was number one, right? which I I, I think is... A fascinating confirmation, right? right? Because a lot of people do think, in fact, that it is soft, um, and it's not. The, the bottom line is, it's it's essential. Um, the second thing, you know, that I I find fascinating about it is that all of the other factors are also fairly soft in nature. There is nothing in the report that said. A company's ability to understand deep engineering, or right. to have phenomenal user experience, right? It wasn't, it wasn't skills based, right? It wasn't disciplines. It was really all cultural, and um, I, I think that's just a fascinating thing to understand. So you know, we we've got the. Um, culture, we've got the other aspects, our focus is another thing that struck me. How you deploy your resources, your time, your your money, those types of things. The other thing that really struck out to me was the difference between communication and collaboration. When I first saw the results, I was struck by the fact that both communication and collaboration made it. And I said, well, what's the difference? Mm-hmm. And it really comes back to communication is the formal communication between teams and collaboration is the ad hoc. And the fact that the, the results came back in both of those are absolutely essential, you can't have one without the other and still be successful right. was interesting to me. Yeah. Um, and, and I think something to, to take note. And then, of course, we all know, you know, being guided by the market. Right. So really making sure that you value feedback. In fact, I think that was the number two finding uh, in terms of importance was you have to navigate your your product based on what your customer is saying and listening to the customer.
0: Yeah. And so oh. much of it seems to center around communication. Right. I mean, right. Feedback, communication, collaboration—you could totally. put really a, culture a, right. enables all that, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. right. And then, and then you know the one we didn't talk about is the the staffing, making sure that you have the right people involved, right? And that, that probably goes a little bit to those hard skills that you need to do it, um, but how you mix that and the diversity of that is really important too. As you look into the data, it's it's not just oh I I need these three people. It's it's what that mixture looks like. Do you have enough outside influence, for example, right? It's important to have you know a third party helping you with innovative ideas and, and providing guidance on how to build those products. It's important to have um you know you name it across the board, that diverse mix. Yeah. But yeah, and 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 you mentioned
0: staffing there's so much more to it than just getting the right people on the bus. Once the
1: right people are on the bus, they also have to get in the right seats. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> for sure. That's right. And then you have to get the others off the bus that don't have a seat. But yeah. yeah. That's for a different podcast,
0: right? Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> Um, so we at Three Pillar have been in, uh, in a few Forrester reports recently. One of the ways that if you're a services company like we are, that you start to know that you've made it is when analysts at companies like Forrester and Gartner start coming to you to get your opinion on trends that you're seeing in the marketplace. Right. So I know you've been interviewed for a number of these analyst briefings. We've been cited or quoted in a few reports this year, including one titled Reforming AD&D Organizations for Customer Obsession. AD&D is Application uh, Development and Delivery, if memory serves correct. So what was the big takeaway for you from that report?
1: Yeah, you know... um It's funny. Here's this word, customer obsession, Mm -hmm. right? Doesn't that say it all? It goes back to what we were just talking about, about feedback. It goes back to the very beginning about the trends we were talking about, customer experience, right? I think- reorganizing what was traditionally, when we thought of technology, we thought of IT. And IT was a back office function um, that was ruled by process and ruled by, um, you know, SLAs and by making sure that things were stable. And now we're moving towards a world where the technology is coming out from behind the scenes and into the front office, and it's all about how you interact with your customer. And so customer obsession, teaching an R&D organization um, and, and those that are building applications, which ultimately are turning into products because they're touching customers, teaching them how to care about the customer, care about the feedback, iterate quickly based on that feedback, be obsessed with not just am I building the right software, but am I building the right software, right? It's it's not just is it good software? Is it the right product? Does it fit? Does a customer want to use it? Uh, and those types of things are absolutely essential. And when you're obsessed about the customer, you start to prioritize things differently. You, you start to worry about different things. And it's not so much about the technology as it is about the customer. Um, It's all about getting it out there early and often and delighting the customer with continual releases and continual innovation and designing an organization to do that, right? So things like DevOps come into play, right? It's one thing if we can build software really quick, but can we actually release it to the customer really quick, right? For how long has IT organizations been talking about agile development? Well, great. Well, what's it got in the customer? Well, nothing really if I build the software and then it has to go through all these processes to get released and these many stage gates and yeah stability is important but it's not the only thing so um, you know I think that's the focus it's it's goes back to the title it's the customer obsession and making sure that we're delighting customers and building great customer experiences with the products that we're building
0: yeah definitely so let's circle back to fortune here not the conference but the magazine you've had a few pieces published on Fortune Insider of late that I want to ask you about okay the first one was it was with networking tips for introverts
1: <laughs> this took a lot of vulnerability speaking about <laughs> vulnerability and when
0: people that are that are listening to the podcast and have heard you on the podcast before would probably find it surprising that you're an introvert because oh, you, my you gosh. have you know on audio, at least, you know, a little bit of an, a little bit of an outsized personality, which yeah. is good. It's good to have you <laughs> on, on the podcast. But you are an introvert. Can you yeah. share what some of your networking tips for introverts are?
1: Yeah, you know, it, it's funny because um, a lot of people are surprised by it. I'm one of these people. I love to have conversations, right? This podcast for me is just sitting down with you and having a conversation. It's great. great. Love it, and especially if we're talking about things I'm passionate about, yep. easy. I really struggle with networking and uh, going out there and meeting new people. Like, you know, take the uh, an event, for example, right? I was just at this Brainstorm Tech event. You know, people I don't know, going up to somebody in the middle of a, a cocktail hour and just inserting myself, not my cup of tea. Yeah. Uh, and so I kind of laid out uh, in this article that you're talking about some of the tips I've learned over time to deal with that because, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, it's part of my job and and it's part of what I need to do. And quite frankly, once I engage in the conversation, I enjoy it. It's just that initial approach and breaking in. And so, you know, for me, I've done things like, um, I've actually invited a lot of people to a conference before to come with me and kind of bring my entourage. Right. right. And and I expected that that would make me more comfortable. I'd have people to go talk to when I, I was out of my zone. And, um, Well, what turned out to be the case was that's absolutely true. But another phenomenon happened, which was people began to know, oh, you're the person that came with David. And all of a sudden I became the person people wanted to introduce themselves to versus me having to go introduce myself. So that that was kind of an innovative concept that I didn't realize how innovative it was until it really happened. Right. Um, You know, another thing I've done is um, it's amazing a. simple introduction, even via email, before I go to an event. Um, To somebody, hey, really looking forward to seeing you there. I heard you're gonna be at this conference. Um, And then all of a sudden they're seeking you out when you get there. Uh, Or you've got a lunch plan before you even get there. Those types of things make it a lot easier for me. So what I am is deliberate. I think that's the bottom line. Is I'm deliberate about how I think about going to these events or going to, um, you know, whether it's a conference, whether whatever it is. Um, and, And how are ways that I can make connections outside of me just having to go interrupt a conversation. And yeah. insert myself. So
0: and, and your most recent one was on regaining trust hmm. with with employees once that feeling of trust has been lost. We've talked yeah. about culture some in the course of this yep. of this episode. What are some of some ways you can go about regaining or rebuilding trust where it may seem like that's been damaged a little bit? Yeah.
1: I, I think the first one, and this probably goes for a lot of things, is lead by example. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, you know, when it comes to rebuilding trust, it's amazing to me how many times we talk about wanting to do it, but we don't actually go show trust ourselves, right? And we do that because we don't want to have the hard conversation. Well, to reestablish trust, you have to flip this downward spiral of eroding trust. And you do that as a leader by going in and demonstrating that I'm going to trust you and being willing to stick your own neck out, right? So um, go have the conversation. Listen, as a team, I don't feel as though we are having the types of conversations we need to have. I feel like there's you know, too much politics, whatever the issue is, right? right? And I believe the root of that is trust. Um, and I want to put that on the table, and I want to work through it with you, and I want very honest feedback of what we think um, is going on, and and don't be afraid to hear the truth, right? And trust that others are going to handle that with the same maturity that that you want them to handle it. Right. Um, and, and too often we don't, right? We don't have the blunt conversation, we don't lay it on the table, and and I, th- I think just being deliberate and showing by example and putting the issues on the table can get us a long way. You have to exemplify it though
0: yeah well David I'm I'm sorry I need to um, I need to have a hard conversation with you.
1: <laughs> oh no, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs>
0: I did not bring any food or arrange to have any food brought in so that we could try to taste innovation this time around. Okay. So I don't have anything, like, exciting so, to
1: end this with. So we started off, and you didn't follow through on playing the word game. <laughs> <laughs> and then you didn't bring any food either. Yeah. Wow. Okay, well, I'm sure the next time I come around, you're going to have some brilliant surprise for me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, i uh,
0: well, you've heard this already, but but other folks that have listened to the podcast for a while have not We've gone through some fits and starts with the uh, with the open to the innovation engine podcast. Yep. Let, let me see if I still have it on my iTunes. Maybe we'll just play off this episode number seventy five with uh, a DJ sidetracked production of the uh, of the Welcome.
1: Welcome <laughs> to the Innovation Engine podcast. I'm Will Sherland. Uh, let's see.
0: Uh, yep, here it is. Let me uh, let me see if I can find the cord to plug my computer in real quick. So, if if you're a longtime listener of the podcast and you actually listen to you know many of the episodes. We once upon a time started off with just me saying welcome. We've now upped our game a little bit. We've tried a few versions of professionally produced um, intros, but... Here's one that was that was done in-house by one of our one of our DJs, uh, Brian O before he moved on to Capital One. DJ Sidetracked, if you're out there, uh, much love and we appreciate this uh, this this welcome uh, intro that you put together for us. We'll see if this actually makes the cut for the for the final episode. <laughs> well, well 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 welcome.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well 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 what well 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 what well 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 well
0: what well 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 well
1: a Little long in the tooth after a while, isn't it? Yeah, that's a lot of uh, that's a lot of like
0: electro and uh, 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 uh. welcome. <laughs>
1: uh, oh, I love it.
0: But David, thanks so much for joining us on the 75th episode of the Innovation Engine podcast. Um, he's at D DeWolf on Twitter. You can read some of the articles that we talked about on Fortune Insider. He also blogs often at daviddeWolf.com on uh, life, business, technology. And um, let's see, anywhere else people should be looking out for you.
1: Yeah, that's probably enough. You might get sick of me if you look at me too much. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> nice. Will. It's been Thank great. You.
0: Absolutely. If you'd like to learn more about David DeWolf, you can visit his website at www.daviddewolf.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at at DDeWolf. And you can read his Fortune Insider posts on networking and other topics like How to Fail Wisely at www.fortune.com slash author slash David DeWolf. Thanks once again to David DeWolf for joining us this week, and thank you for joining us this week. Don't forget to tune in to next week's episode when we're excited to talk with Joe Golden about the upcoming UXDC 2015 conference. Among the topics we'll discuss with Joe are how to best get involved in the conference, to learn more about all things UX, the evolving role and definition of user experience in the product development world, and how to ensure that your UX designs are creating meaningful experiences for your customers. Thanks again for joining us and we'll see you next week. The Innovation Engine podcast is recorded, produced, edited and published each week by 3Pillar Global a product lifecycle management and software development company based in Fairfax, Virginia. For more information on the company or our services, please visit our website at www.3pillarglobal.com. You can also email me, Will Sherlin, with guest ideas, advice, questions about the company, or whatever else is on your mind at will.sherlin at 3pillarglobal.com. That's will.sh-e-r-l-i-n at the number three, pillarglobal.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.